And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus has been doing a lot of things, a lot of miraculous works, a lot of great teaching. His disciples have been following him, and now he has told them, Look, guys, we have to go to Jerusalem. We have to go to Jerusalem. And this, this is Palm Sunday, right? This is the day that we typically think of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Right now, in the book of Matthew, he's forecasting, telling them, this is what's coming. I am going to go to Jerusalem. I am going to go into Jerusalem. And a lot of times when we celebrate on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, that Jesus is going into uh, into Jerusalem, we talk about it in terms of his triumphal entry. This is his triumphal entry. But Jesus recognizes that that's not the reason for which he is going to Jerusalem. That his triumph is not going to come in the cheering masses, the rejoicing crowds, the singing of songs, the, the hailing of the king, the throwing down of the palms and the robes, but his triumph is going to come when he gets into Jerusalem, when he suffers at the hands of the religious leaders, when he is betrayed by his disciples, and when he's crucified on the cross. That will be his triumph. And so while he is talking to his disciples and saying, guys, we are going to Jerusalem and this is what it's going to be like. I am going to uh, suffer and I am going to die there. His disciples are going, whoa, 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 time out, Jesus. Time out. Never. Never. We just acknowledged you are the Christ. The anointed king, you are the Messiah, the savior of God's people. You, Lord, are going to go in and you are going to take over and we will finally be set free. And the king will enter into Jerusalem in pomp and circumstance and he will assume the throne and then the good life will begin. And Jesus, we are going to be right there by your side. And he said, guys... You've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. When I go to Jerusalem, it is going to be to suffer and to die. And in fact, anybody who wants to follow me has to take up their cross and follow me. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I think that it is important that we understand who Jesus is and what he is about because what we think about Jesus sets our expectations for our own experiences. What we believe to be true about Jesus sets our expectations for what our own experiences will be like. Because if we think that Jesus is going to be a triumphant king riding into Jerusalem to take over, then we think our experience will be like those of the commanders, like those of the army who are going in to have a victorious battle. If we think that, that Jesus is um, a loving uh, person who, who gives good <laughs> gifts, then we would expect to be spoiled children. Jesus, give me all the good gifts. And if we recognize that Jesus is a suffering servant, then we expect that as his followers, we will be suffering servants as well. And so this morning, he is setting up for his disciples what they should expect their own experience to be because they didn't believe him when he said what his experience was going to be. No, Jesus, far be it from you, Jesus. You shall never suffer and die, Jesus. And he says, guys, that's what's going to go down. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and that's what's going to happen. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be rejected. That's what's going to happen. And I want you to know that if you're going to ride with me, you're going to have the same experience. Anyone who would come after me, anybody who would follow Jesus, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, I think that um, the gospel the good news about who Jesus is might be more popular if he changed that just a little bit. I think the, that the good news about Jesus might be more popular if we were to tell people, hey, here's what you can expect if you follow Jesus. You can expect happiness, health, long life, and victory over all of your enemies. That's what Jesus wants for you. If we were to give that kind of message, I think that would probably be very popular. I think a lot of people would flock to that kind of a message. What Jesus wants for you is for you to have your best life, to, for you to just enjoy life to the fullest right now. That would be a very popular message. But it, it's not Jesus' message. Jesus' message is, if you are going to follow me, expect that you are going to suffer. Expect that you're going to suffer. Expect that you're going to have to put your neck on the line. Expect that you're going to have to take up your cross. Expect that it will be a way of suffering and death. That's what it's going to be to follow me. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I think that we have seen this. I think that we, we see this with people, right? That, that those who um, 
those who live the, their lives for themselves end up disappointed in that, right? What we find is that when you live your life for yourself, there's only so much happiness that you can accrue that way. Well, I will only do that which feels good for me. I will only do that which I enjoy. So I will eat all of the things and I will do none of the exercise and this is the good life. I won't do any work, I will just do entertainment because that is the good life. Good life. And what we find is that the more we do that, the less the good life feels very good. It is disappointing and unfulfilling. And so then you'll read books about if you really want the good life, what you need to do is start doing something of purpose. That's how you lead the good life. Do something of purpose. And I think that that's the kind of thing that Jesus is calling us to. He's giving us a purpose. He's saying, look, if you want to be satisfied, then what you need to do is find a purpose and you need to de deny yourself, put aside your own desires and then follow me. That's where the good life is going to be. Now, it seems paradoxical to us. If I want the good life, I have to take up a cross? Jesus, do you know what crosses do? They're, they're torture and death. If I'm going to pick up my cross and carry my cross, it means I am on my way to death, and I'm on my way to death right now. And Jesus says, you got it. You got it. That's what we're doing. We're on our way to death right now. Who's with me? And I think at this point, the disciples are still going, I don't think he means it. I don't think, have you seen the way that he fed all the people? Have you seen the way he healed all the people? Have you seen all of the blessings that Jesus has given all of the people? Have you heard the way that he talks about being close to God? Have you heard all these things? I don't think he means it. I'm not quite sure what this parable means, to take up the cross and we're all going to go to Jerusalem and suffer, but let's go party, guys. Here we go. Jerusalem is going to be grand. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a great time in Jerusalem. But Jesus goes on and says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're trying to just protect your life, that's not going to get you anywhere. We have to risk the whole thing. We have to risk the whole thing. We have to, to be all in. Because whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is what Jesus is saying. Look, guys, if you're going to uh, seek your own ends, and they will, right? They will. They're going to go, hey, which of us is the greatest in this kingdom? Jesus is going, the greatest in the kingdom? 
Are you out of your minds? Do you know what you're asking? Do you know what I'm calling you to? The greatest in the kingdom is going to die. That's what the kingdom is. We're suffering and dying in this life for the kingdom. Do you know what I'm calling you to? For whoever would save his life will lose it, and, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And they're going, these parables, they are just weird. Jesus just keeps playing with words. And sometimes I think that we feel that Jesus is just playing with words too. I don't think he really means it. I don't think he really means that I have to put aside my own selfishness, my own preferences, my own comforts. I don't think he really means it. I think what he actually means is that in the midst of my middle class, comfortable life, then I should also include some worship of Jesus. I should also probably uh, give some of the money that God has given to me back to him to acknowledge that, yes, God, we're cool, I love you. I don't think he's actually calling me to anything radical. I don't think he's actually calling me to give up my life for him. I don't think he's actually calling me to make myself uncomfortable on his behalf. I think what he's actually saying is, uh, Travis, I think that you're fine just as you are, but uh, if you follow me, life might be a little bit better. And yet that's not at all what it says. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we give up absolutely everything, reprioritize absolutely everything and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. He says, okay, it's going to cost you. I'm in, what's it going to cost me? Everything. Uh, how about 10%? Everything. You drive a hard bargain. 20%? We'll go 50-50. You and me, Jesus, we'll go 50-50 on this. 75%? 90%? The whole thing. The whole thing. Everything you are, everything you have, everything that you can do, everything, all of it, all the time for Jesus. That's all he's asking for. Complete and total sacrifice and commitment to him. For he says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? I thought it was interesting as I was reading this, I thought, wow, that is exactly Satan's temptation. Satan's temptation to Jesus was exactly that. Hey, Jesus, you know what? I have control of the whole world. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. That's it. 
You're here to be the conquering king. You're here to, to, uh, have, to reign over the earth, and I'll give you the whole thing. All you got to do is bow down and worship me, and then it's all yours. No problem. It was Jesus' uh, temptation. Satan tempted him with that, and Jesus refused to take it. And yet we, as his followers, very often go, well, just a little bit of the world, that's great. I'll give up my soul for that. Just for a little bit. He says, but if you, if you lose your soul, if you lose your spiritual life, then what difference does it make if you had everything? Let's say you had all the money in all the world. Let's say you had all the power and all the control. You could do whatever you wanted all the time. Everyone had to listen to you and no one could oppose you. But it's going to cost your soul. Is it worth it? We see this play out in real life from time to time. You may know somebody who uh, they, they were living a pretty good life. They were enjoying life to the fullest. Many, many material goods and pleasures in life. Boats and ski trips and vacations and all of the things. And a big house, everything, nice car, everything's great. And then something comes along and they find themselves with a health crisis. And it gets very expensive very fast. And you look at that and go, okay, what are you going to do? And very quickly, they give up all of the material stuff to save their life. They'll give it all up to save their life. What good is it? What good is all of that stuff if I have no life? And so when it comes right down to it, they go, yeah, I will forfeit everything to have life. And Jesus is saying, I want you to do that. I want you to do that. I want you to acknowledge that apart from me, you will have no spiritual life at all. And so I want you to give up everything to follow me. All of it. Because what good does it do if you hang on to a part of it or even all of it or more than you have if it costs you your soul? This is in contrast to what the world would like for Jesus to be. The world would like for Jesus to be a generous, kind, a compassionate teacher of moralistic living. That in addition to the other things that we do that we find joy in, we might live at peace with other people and have peace within our hearts because we have Jesus. And it will be a very pleasant way of living. Like he was some kind of a genie 
to fulfill our greatest wishes and desires. Instead of our king, who is asking for our faithfulness, and instead of a servant, who suffers on our behalf to give us that life. You see, while he is asking for us to give up everything to follow him, and we go, wow, Jesus, that is really radical. He says, yes, and I did that for you. I did that for you. Do you know I had all of the glory in all of creation? You know, I was there at the beginning of the earth before the foundation was laid, and I laid the foundation. I created the world and everything that is in it, and I reigned in heaven with my Father in perfect glory over that whole creation, and I gave that up so that I could put on this pathetic body and walk with you and suffer with you and die at the hands of those who reject me while my closest friends betray me. I die a brutal death. That's what's coming for me. And all I'm asking is that you follow me and give up everything to follow me. Talk about leading by example. He's not asking us to do anything that he has not done himself. But he is saying that if you want to follow him, you can expect to have the same experience as him. That is, we expect, because we follow a suffering servant of a Savior, that we will also suffer in this life. That's not to say that you have to put up with every abuse that we just roll over and say that that's okay. I just expect to take that. If you are finding yourself in a place of abuse, I encourage you to seek help. But neither do we expect our lives to be lives of pure pleasure and comfort. And when suffering comes, we are not surprised by those things. We expect them. Because our Jesus suffered and we're following him. So we expect to be treated like him. And so Jesus brings us all the way to this place where he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. I am going to go. I am going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die there. And anybody who wants to follow me should expect the same kind of treatment. And in verse 27, he says, but for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Ultimately, he says, there will be victory. And the disciples go, I knew it. I still don't understand the parable. I still don't understand the suffering part. But this part I get. This part I get. 
Ultimately, there's going to be victory. We're going to go and we're going to see the Son of Man coming into His kingdom with the angels and the glory of the Father, and He's going to repay each person according to what He has done. And they're like, that I get. And I think that on Palm Sunday, that's the thing that we go, and there it is. Jesus, conquering king, riding into Jerusalem. And we sort of mash them together. When in reality, they are not mashed together, but are rather separated by a little time. He says, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You're going to see it, and and they're going, oh, that's going to be awesome. He's going to ride in. He's going to take over. We're going to anoint him king. We're going to be there. One of us is probably going to be like his right-hand man, and the uh, others of us are going to be like chiefs of armies and that sort of thing, and this is going to be wonderful. And next week, they're going to get, a few of them are going to get a glimpse of his heavenly glory. And when they go to Jerusalem, they are going to see him coming into his kingdom, but they aren't going to see him coming into his kingdom like they think they're going to see him coming into his kingdom. Oh, they'll watch him ride into Jerusalem with lots of palm wavings. But he's going to come in humbly on a donkey. And he's not going to get treated well. And then they're going to watch him come into his kingdom through his death and resurrection. Will be. But he does not want us to be surprised. In fact, Peter, who was standing there with him, the one who had confessed this a week or two ago, but in in reality only a couple verses ago, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory glory and of God rests upon you. Do you know how many scriptures there are that encourage the followers of Jesus, God's people, in their suffering? The book of Job, the book of Revelation, 1 Peter, like half of the Psalms, and the list goes on. There is an expectation, and I want you to share it. There is an expectation that God's people are going to be a suffering people. 
Yes, they will have deliverance from their sin. Yes, they will at times have deliverance from difficult circumstances. Yes, ultimately, we will see his glory and we will reign with him forever. But we also expect that we are a suffering people. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised when that happens. Do not be surprised when the suffering comes. Do not be surprised when the persecution comes. Do not be surprised by these things. We expect them. I feel like the worst thing that I could do for you as your pastor is to tell you that if you follow Jesus, life is going to be great. Because then when you follow Jesus and you experience the sufferings and the rejection that come with following Jesus, or when you continue to experience the normal sufferings of life, you'll go, wait, there must be something wrong. There must be something wrong with me. Because this shouldn't be how one of God's people is treated. This shouldn't be the experience of one of God's people. There must be something wrong with my faith. Because if I had better faith, then I wouldn't be treated this way. I wouldn't have these kinds of experiences. There must be something wrong with my God. He is not able or he is not loving. There must be something wrong if I'm having these experiences. And what I want you to know is there is nothing wrong. It's what we expect. It's what we expect. From time to time, I will have somebody that comes to me and says, I'm really worried. I say, what are you worried about? I'm really worried for Christians in this country. I'm really worried about the future for Christians in this place. Yeah, I don't know what the future for Christians in this place holds. I don't know what the future for Christians in this country holds. But I won't be surprised if it includes suffering. I would be shocked if it didn't include suffering because of political power. I would be shocked if God has a different plan for his people in the United States right now than he had for his people in his uh, promised land in the first century. That would shock me. Why would I expect to be treated differently than the 12 disciples? Why Why would I expect to have a different experience than them? My hope is not in this kingdom or in the comforts herein. It is that at some point, Jesus is going to return. And when he does, all who oppose him will be dealt with. And justice will be done. And his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And in that glorious day, I will rejoice. And from now until then, I will rejoice whatever my circumstances. I will rejoice in the good times, and I will rejoice in the sufferings. That we might be counted worthy to experience the sufferings of Jesus with him.
Today we are going to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. We do this on the first Sunday of every month. We take communion together. And what I want to remember today as we do this is that our spiritual life comes at the cost of Jesus' death and resurrection. That he gave his life for us and then therefore we uh, are included and expect to walk in the same sufferings that he experienced.